with all of that, here we are in the Gospel of Luke. I'm, let me just start with a tiny little story. And uh, a teenager asked his father if he could uh, get a car. And the father said, well, if you bring your grades up and study the Bible and get a haircut. And uh, a month later, the father said, uh, son, I'm proud of you. You've brought your grades up and you've studied the Bible every day, but you still haven't gotten your haircut. The son said, well, dad, in studying the Bible, I found that many great people had long hair, including John the Baptist. And his father said, yes, and he walked everywhere he went. (laughs) Now, this morning, we're going to touch on John the Baptist, and I've divided this section of Scripture because I found so much in here. I'm like, how can I make all these points that are developed in this text that I'm just going to focus on one primary point this morning? John, one of those few characters that is actually prophesied in the Old Testament that he would come as a forerunner to Jesus. And Luke, in this telling of the story of John the Baptist, begins with, if you noticed what Zach read, all of these impressive details locating all of this passage when John came in a very specific time and place. And beyond that, the details are about the political powers in Israel. Now, that's interesting. From the top down, beginning with the Roman emperor Tiberius, and then he mentions in the text Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea in the area around Jerusalem, And because there was so much political conflict, uh, Rome ruled this area directly. And then he mentions, you might remember, Herod from the days of Jesus' birth. When he killed all the babies in Bethlehem and tried to kill Jesus. Well, now here Jesus is 30, and King Herod's sons, which are mentioned, Herod and Philip, are the rulers. They're the power brokers at this time from this area where Jesus is from. And then Luke names the religious leaders, the Jewish high priests, Annas, who is behind the scenes now, wielding power, and Caiaphas. Now, I point all that out because all of these people are the movers and the shakers and the guys that are in the news and even ones who are later involved in Jesus' arrest, our trial and arrest. Now, I don't know that we have exact equivalents in our time and place to these roles today, emperors and kings and high priests. But I wonder if Luke were to write his letter today, he might name who was president of the United States and who is our governor of our state, and our, maybe our local representatives would get a call out, and then maybe he would even, if he wanted to put in the religious, there's a lot of the, it's a heavy religious culture in the first century, even way more so than ours today, but we, he, might, he might throw in the archbishop. So I want us to notice 
that after naming all these important people and powerful people, what comes next in our text must not be missed. The Bible says this, the Word of God came to John out in the wilderness. Why does the creator of the world, the all-powerful, all-knowing God, not go to the center of power? To the center of influence. Why does not, to use our terms today, God not go to the Capitol building or inside the Beltway? Why does He not come to those in the know, those in authority, and those in the news? In fact, reading the story of the Gospel of Luke or any of the Gospels, we see that the powerful become the villains of the story, both Roman and Jewish. The political movers and shakers miss this intrusion of God's voice, God's Word, the keys to God's kingdom in the world. Instead, he comes to this strange old-school prophet who is far off the beaten path. What kind of God do we serve? I was convicted this week that if we miss this truth, we can miss God Himself. Now, earlier in our text, God comes to a teenage peasant girl who is from nowhere, Mary, who's born with a cattle, and we know the Christmas story, surrounded by shepherds. And that's not just an interesting detail, but a point about where God shows up and who He shows up for. So again and again, we're going to see in the Gospel of Luke this reach to the outsider, to the outcast, to the alien, and as I said last week, those who should don't, and those who should not, do. And then we know how the story completes. Jesus dies on a cross outside the camp in the city dump. What kind of God do we serve? Now, as this ministry of Jesus is getting set, John is the advance man. He's the PR guy. He's the promotional marketing director. But there is no promotional messaging in the Jerusalem Gazette. No billboards to a special festival day on the temple grounds. There's no marketing whatsoever. There's only, as the text says, 
from the book of Isaiah, a cry in the wilderness. And an event or two held there by a strange man in the outskirts, the backward place, by any worldly or society or even social or marketing measure, this whole thing is going to be a dud. So then if we think in 21st century terms, it's even stranger. It'd be like no TV, no print advertising, no email, no social media, no reporters, no ads. How are we going to get the word out? The people of Israel, through an odd prophet, are being re-asked to reconsider God's kingdom, to rethink, to get ready for what the kingdom is all about. And no one, even those on the very outskirts of the outskirts, are left out of this invitation. So I began to think that the key to this section of this past part of the passage in Luke chapter 3 is simply this very this point. Is it possible that the primary reason that many of us, if not most of us, are struggling so much with our life and with our faith and with our church is because we are so much closer to the world's center than its edge. Closer to mainstream than the wilderness. Closer to the culture than the Creek Jordan. Closer to the noise and the clamor than the silence. And I think most of us really enjoy being where we are. And yet the Scripture says that you can't love the world and what? Love God too. And therefore, it's hard, almost impossible sometimes to meet God. And it's hard to see the work of your life as for God. Two points. The first one is this. Can we go to the wilderness to hear God's Word? I said it as a question, wrote it as a statement, as a request, as a demand, as an invitation. I think if you do this, you will follow in the footsteps of John the Baptist, if that's of any interest. 
a voice of one calling in the wilderness, as the text says. But, but, but not just John. Don't forget also Moses, who found himself alone on the mountain with God. Moses, who encounters God in the desert, even before leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. In the Bible, the Old Testament Scripture says that the children of Israel met God in the wilderness. And in fact, you will be, as we read earlier, or as I opened the service, in the tradition of Elijah, if you'll find yourself in the wilderness, in the quiet, listening for God's voice. You see, many prophets of God and later desert fathers teach us so much about what it means to have faith in God from that position in the wilderness, not city. And I should say wilderness and not desert, because wilderness, unlike desert, has the capacity for great productivity. Sarah Christmeyer says it this way, it's not barren sand, it's fertile soil that just needs water to bring it to life. And so when we find ourselves in what feels like the wilderness, we should not fix our eyes on what looks to us like sand and despair, but rather we should attend to His Word and yearn for Him in the silence. Now John says, you people, you need to bear fruit. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, wilderness time away is imperative for God to work on us so that we might bear fruit. And we see this in Jesus. He got away to lonely places because it was in the wilderness where the word of the Lord is heard. It resounds there. It percolates there. Our spirit is quieted and fed, and the word expands its place in our heart and mind. Do you know in the Hebrew word for wilderness comes the root word for word or saying? In other words, midbar can mean from or of the word. It's in the wilderness where the children of Israel hear the word and where they become God's people. So I've had to ask myself this week a number of times, why is it that I have such a need to be civilized and socialized and marketed to and consume and conform and sold the world's bill of goods and be in such an eager purchaser of them. And as the ancient poet Rumi once said, 
I have lived too long where I am reachable. In other words, we need to find these places of silence where the Word of the Lord can speak to us. Find our way into the wilderness and let the Word speak so that we might produce fruit. You see, when our faith is formed in quiet and private and alone in solitude and silence, or when it's not formed that way, I should say, we very well may miss the Lord speaking altogether. And, and, and so we're kind of like what Henry Nouwen said, we aren't rest-filled people who occasionally become restless. We are restless people who sometimes find rest. And here's what I think happens when we don't have these times, these wilderness times, these times alone. I believe that what happens is our faith gets reduced down to trying to be good. Most of us are. To try to be moral. in the midst of our busyness. And maybe as important as these things are, what is missed is the voice of God. God who comes surprisingly, just as He did to John in the wilderness, and demands, requires change. The Word of God came to John in the wilderness. You know what? I could be wrong, but I think that maybe that passage is more important to 21st century readers than it is to the first century ones. We have so many more ways that we're called away from what is most important. So I want to suggest, and I don't know what it looks like for you to work this out. Maybe it's just walking in the woods. Maybe it's riding the Katy Trail. Maybe it's going camping for the weekend. Maybe Camp Neotez is this this time to hear the Word of the Lord. And, And I get it. Some of you are saying, I'm just not that big an outdoor person. I mean, my idea of the wilderness is like a courtyard Marriott. Okay? And I I mean, yes, okay, we've got some amens. Okay, then maybe you need to take a drive. Or maybe you need to find a cabin in the woods, as I did during my sabbatical. Or maybe you need to rise early and find your own wilderness in the park. Or maybe the best you can do with all the things, the clamoring voices in your life, is to find some time on the back porch. Now, if you'd be interested in a more contemplative retreat or a time like that, I would be happy to lead one. I wish that would become kind of a regular part of our identity as a church. Extended time away, not for teaching, but for self-discovery. 
just to be quiet. Just let me know. But the point is, how are you doing it? Unplugging and being quiet and preparing yourself to hear. And with how much intention are you preparing yourself for a better voice than the ones you're hearing? Now, the second point, and I'll keep this one short, is go to the margins of society to find God at work. You see, John found himself in the wilderness ministering to the poorest of the poor, to those who were kind of the misfits, and didn't really make it in city life. And he seems to have come up with a way to launch his vision of the Lord, and he uses baptism, and both biblical and Jewish history had ritual cleansing, but not anything quite like John's baptism, a baptism of repentance, of change, of, of, of forgiveness. And this baptism reflected, most importantly, it reflects a reprioritization of one's life. Again, John is the forerunner, preparing people to meet Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, who understands what the kingdom of God is all about. But for Jesus' words to be heard, it needed that preparation that John could bring. And when we get to the margins, off your well-worn trail, this reordering begins to happen. One could say it this way, God shows up in the wild, at the edge of society, not at center. And this should prompt some reflection. Even, even this question, where is God working in our metro area, in our area? Is he working on a little farm along the Merrimack? Is he working in a meth lab on the outskirts of a has-been Missouri town? Is he working in East St. Louis? Is he working in our prisons? Is he working under a railroad bridge in North St. Louis? Is he working with those who are trying to escape sex trafficking in our city? If God works in the remote wilderness of the Jordan, might we not find him on the margins among the poor and the least today? So I say to myself, and I say to you, reflecting on John's message and method, if you want the status quo for your life, if you want the busy and the annoying, noisy and the amusing and the consuming 21st century suburban living, just keep your calendar full just like it is. Work hard, 
play hard, stay wired, stay stimulated by a host of media options. Life can feel very good for a while, but not very fruitful for God and His kingdom. But if you want the fire that John the Baptist knew, then John is the wilderness preparer. Are you ready for the Messiah? For His teachings? To be His follower? For His priorities? For His mission? For His love for the unlovable? That's my prayer and my heart's desire. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, may the name of the Lord be praised.